Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God again. And we're going to look at Second uh, Peter. We're going to start at the uh, beginning of that epistle and we're going to work our way through. And uh, we're going to do about three and a half hours of broadcast today. And if you want to know where else we broadcast, you have to join the network. And uh, that's hopefully where we'll get this finally finished up. Because there's a lot in Peter that most churches just ignore. Most ministers don't even understand. There's a lot about Christianity most churches don't even attend to. And and Christ condemned the Pharisees for not attending to these weightier matters. And uh, what's happened is that... Uh, False prophets have come into churches all over the world for hundreds of years now and preached fables that contradict what the Bible actually says. But people miss it. They can't see it. They are blind to it. And Peter talks about why people are blind to it, why they can't see it. Today, in the world, we see a lot of controversy over Second Amendment rights in the United States and uh, there's children out there marching and uh, wanting to do away with the Second Amendment. They're actually marching to have their rights removed, their natural rights removed. And they're turning out by the thousands. And you, you see people trying to talk to them on uh, both sides. And they are absolutely unreasonable. They don't seem to have any facts. They don't know any history. Uh, it's all about emotion. And uh, they are absolutely convinced that they're right and they're vehement about it. And they are marching against the very things that normally save a society and protect a society. And the Second Amendment is not the only thing that they're confused about. They believe that socialism is good. They believe that the idea that the government has the power to take away from your neighbor so that you can have benefits, free education, uh, take care of my parents so that I don't have to take care of the parents. You actually hear some of the, you know, like the the hog boy uh, who was, uh, uh, that's actually his name, H-O-G-G, I think it's hog. And uh, he, I can't remember his first name, and I, I, I just don't follow him, but I, I did hear a clip of him just foul mouth talking about his parents and how stupid they are and all this kind of stuff. Just totally disrespectful. You go over to the other side uh, and you find kids that are much more respectful of their parents. And, of course, the Bible talks about the fact that the kids will disrespect their parents, not honor their parents, not care about... They think they know it all. They think they're entitled to it all. And you can't, you can't even sit down and have a rational conversation with them. They are completely blind to the facts. And this is very frustrating for a lot of people who call themselves conservatives, uh, which is supposedly the, the other side of that spectrum. But the reality is, if I sat down with those conservatives who see the fallacy of these young people and, 
and, you know, their approach to solving problems. I mean, what is it? 3% of the uh, gun deaths in the United States are with rifles. Uh, There are more people killed with hammers than with rifles. And somehow they think they're going to change this uh, whole idea of people dying at the hands of guns by getting rid of rifles. And it's that's absolutely absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, the presence of guns clearly throughout the uh, United States makes people safer because there are less crime, less murder, where there are more guns. It isn't the guns that actually do it. What it is is actually the people are taking the responsibility of protecting themselves. And then a lot of murderers are cowards, you know, thieves. See, in England... Uh, violent crime has actually increased with doing away with guns. Uh, burglaries take place during the middle of the day with people home. You're more likely to be burgled while you're at home in England than you are in America. Why? Because if you're home, you might have a gun. <laughs> and you might be able to defend yourself. And people say, oh, guns are bad. But they want the police to have guns. They call up a policeman when they, they, they fear somebody breaking in and murdering them and raping their children. Which is actually going on in the world today. All over the world today, young people are being raped and murdered on a regular basis. And citizenry often do not have the means or ability to protect themselves or their family or their neighbor. And the but the real sin is they don't have the inclination to protect their neighbor. They think that's somebody else's responsibility. They don't. They say, Am I my brother's keeper? Of course, that's where we started in the Bible, way back with Cain. Yes, you are your brother's protector. You should be protecting your brother. You should be protecting your environment. You should be protecting your community. You should be protecting all kinds of things because that was the first commandment of God to dress it and keep it. And that that doesn't mean that you should be coveting your neighbor's goods or hiring men to take away from your neighbor so that you can have more stuff. Or do less stuff. Be slothful in that caring for one another. And so anyway, the the point of this is if I were to sit down with these conservatives who can see the blindness of these liberal, socialist, progressive side of their political spectrum, I could bring up many, many things that they could not see. It is very easy to go through life pointing out, well, he doesn't see this, and he doesn't see that, and he doesn't see that. You're not going to crash and burn because of what he doesn't see. You're going to crash and burn because of what you don't see. So Peter's talking about some of the things that people don't see and how you can get to the point of seeing more. That's that's the theme of this second epistle, at least at the beginning. He's, he wants to help you see more. And that's what he's going to be talking about. And so I'm just giving you a little heads up where we're going with this. And we will just go right down to Second Peter, uh, first chapter, and see what he has to say about this. And I'm going to add little anecdotes and information about some of the things that Peter is telling you. Or telling, he's actually speaking to Christians. He may not be speaking to you because you may not be a Christian. You say you're a Christian, but Jesus talks a great deal about people who say they're Christians. 
And they're not really Christians, but they're actually workers of iniquity. He didn't say just a few. He actually says many. When he's questioned about, you know, are the few saved or many saved, you know what his answer was? Strive. He didn't tell them. He didn't tell how many are saved or how many are not saved. He says, you better strive. You better be diligent. These are Christ's words. Now, you have preachers out there saying there's nothing you have to do. You just think this thought that you believe in Jesus, whether it's the real Jesus or not, because they're not telling you what the real Jesus was doing. They're not telling you what the real Peter was doing. They're not telling you what the early church was doing because they're not doing it. And they don't want you to know that they're not doing it. Because that would that would uh, cast them in a dark light, and they don't want to believe that they they want to believe they're right, and so they they have invented fables, false teachings about Christ, and they promote them. It sounds real good, you know. I don't want to pick on individuals, but you know, like I I just heard Billy Graham the other day. Sounds great. Seems like a good man. Talks about a lot of good things. But he isn't talking the gospel. He isn't talking the real gospel. He isn't talking the real Jesus Christ. I mean, he is maybe not far from the kingdom, but he is not pre- did not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Because he wasn't telling people to do what the early church did. He wasn't organizing churches to do what the early church did. And his son is not doing it either. Now, I'm, I'm not condemning them. I'm just pointing out that they're not doing it because they can't see some of what they're missing about the real Jesus, our Lord, which is the way Peter refers to him. Jesus, our Lord. So anyway, Simon Peter starts out saying, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is the righteousness of God? Because that's what we're supposed to be seeking, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is it righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? That's a simple question. Conservatives should, is it right to force your neighbor to give you what you don't have? Okay, you're going to say, no, that's stealing. That's that's forcing people to give you stuff you want. And you can easily say that, that that's that's wrong. That's That's not what a Christian does. Well, let me add to that question. Is it okay to force your neighbor to give you what you want if you do it through government? If you get the government to take away from your neighbor... To give you what you want. Is that okay? Well, now people are seeing where I'm going. And there's going to be some balking. And so I say, well, if you're taking from Social Security. If you're taking welfare. If you're taking public education. Aren't you forcing your neighbor to pay for what you want? First thing they're going to say is, I pay in. Yeah, you pay in, but do you pay in as much? I mean, why are you paying in right now if you're not, I mean, you're working, say you're 20, 30 years old. I guess most of the people who listen to this show are 35 year olds, or at least one of our shows. Uh, I saw that in a statistic, um, or in that area of age. But, so you're paying into Social Security, 
who are you paying for? Are you putting money on deposit somewhere in a big account and then that's what you're going to draw on? No. You're taking care of the needy of today. That is your contribution to help the needy of today. And the people who decide who gets what you give them is a government that exercises authority one over the other. They're the benefactors. They hand out all the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of government to, you know, people who are, you know, indigent or on welfare or, I guess, even uh, immigrants uh, to this illegal immigrants to this country. There are a lot of them are on welfare, evidently, uh, forms of welfare. People say, oh, well, they don't get any welfare. Actually, they do. And uh, they're getting that. And that's all divided up by the ministers of that system of taxation that you pay into those government agencies and those government agencies redistribute what you give them. Now, it's actually more insidious than that. They actually don't redistribute what you give them. They've borrowed money to give away. And the money that you're paying in is actually just paying the interest on the debt. It's not actually providing any benefits. You see, you haven't kept the Sabbath. You didn't work six days and earn your day of rest. You borrowed against the future. All this is totally anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-Jew. Because they were, they knew they weren't supposed to do this. They were not supposed to borrow against the future. But your, your ministers, your government ministers have borrowed against the future of your children. And now you must pay in to keep paying the interest on that debt. Then they just, we just did a couple shows on, on debt and borrowing. And you can go back in the archives and, and listen to them. But the reality is, is that, uh, every time this comes up for a vote in the United States and every other country, they just expand the debt ceiling, which puts, curses your children with more and more debt. And you just sit there and you don't seem to have any idea what you can do about it. Because you thought you elected new guys. Republican controlled the the House and the Senate and you had a Republican president. So you thought, well, now we'll get some tax reform that actually balances the budget. And they did same old, same old. Nothing changed. As a matter of fact, in, in many ways, it's worse. But people keep going and trying to find some good in it because they They're absolutely terrified of seeing that they don't get it. (laughs) That they're not doing the right thing. But those ministers in government, those are your priests. Those are the ones who are in charge of your religion. Because religion, if you go back to the definition of religion, religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And their religion is based on force. They force you to contribute for the welfare of your fellow man, but actually it's really just to pay the interest on money they borrowed against the future. And of course, all this is what they list off as the bondage of Egypt. And it puts you in debt. It puts your children in debt. And for generation after generation, you're getting more and more in debt. So, Peter's actually talking to Christians, though, because Christians were cast out of that system in Rome. They couldn't go get the free bread of Rome. They had what they call private religion. They took care of one another. They say in the meetings with uh, Justin the Martyr, he says, we gather every week. 
and those that have share with those that don't have enough. Now, why is he writing to the emperor of Rome and explaining that? Is because he's telling the emperor of Rome how we do it. We know how the emperor of Rome did it. They either uh, conquered people or taxed people or forced tribute from people, and then they took those funds and they provided the benefits, the free bread of Rome. See, they could do a number of things that Israel was always forbidden to do. You couldn't, you couldn't go and take a spoil and make war profitable. They, they weren't allowed to make war profitable. But the Romans made war profitable. <laughs> and so they often went to war to make lots of money. And then, of course, to appease the people, they had these giveaways. And uh, free bread, free wine, free cheese, all kinds of free foods and stuff like that. And even free money they would give away. And a huge welfare system. Herod had done the same thing. It was called the Corbin of the Pharisees. Corbin means sacrifice. So they were instituting the same kind of forced offering to their government, which was the priests of their temple. See, now who's your priests of your temple? That's that's these agencies and governments of the world that you go to, but they're not giving you charity. They're creating an obligation. You've become a surety for the debt, and now you're you're paying back. So this Peter's not writing people like that. He's writing Christians. Christians were taking care of their welfare through faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. So anyway, he refers to himself as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And that word servant there is from the Greek word dolos, which means a slave, a bondman, a man's servile condition. Jesus was a king and Peter was his servant, his slave, his bondsman. This is just like the Levites. The Levites belong to God. This is a separate status. Now, their purpose was to feed his sheep, to take care of the needy of society and pure religion. That's unspotted by the world. And we're going to look at that word world here because Peter uses the exact same word here in this first paragraph. So, righteousness is taking care of the needy through real charity, through grace and peace, not through force and violence. That's what the Christians were doing. And that made them a peculiar people. So, anyway... He talks about grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto all us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So all things, I mean, that's that's like if they needed bread, if they needed clothing and they needed a code they you know, this is what john the baptist was saying uh you know if you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have one share so this is all that their social welfare is done through this charity and sharing through christ working in the hearts of individuals through the knowledge of him knowing that that's the kind of guy that jesus was he came to serve they were coming together in the church to serve one another in righteousness Strengthening the poor. But that's why they were coming together. That's why they went to church. Because that was a different form of government than Rome. The church is a form of government. But it doesn't exercise authority one over the other. It exercises love and charity. Modern churches don't do that. They send you to the men who exercise authority. 
You know, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, if you didn't have enough food, you went to church. And they helped find you food. They found you work. They found people to help you with, you know, if you you fell on hard times. That that was Christian charity. And uh, there were historians who rode through America back in the 1700s and 1800s and said that what made America great was a vast network of charity and churches in community service in every community. That's what made America great. That's what bound the people together. It wasn't the president. wasn't the Constitution. wasn't Congress. wasn't Senate. And so you keep looking up there like somehow or other, if we elect the right guy, he's going to make everything right again. You should elect Jesus. And if you elect Jesus, he's not going to do it for you. You're going to have to do it with Jesus working in your heart. So anyway, Peter says, According to divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaining that pertain unto life, and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And important word, virtue. He goes on to explain, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, again, many of you have heard me talk about this. There are five different Greek words that are all translated into the single English word world. Which one is that? Is it the one that means age? Is it the one that means inhabited places? No, it's the one that means constitutional order or system of government. It comes from the word comiso which has to do with taking care of. It was originally often a military term because if you were in the army, the army had a tendency to take care of your needs because you're busy marching and what have you. And so they had supply lines to take care of your needs. But it was an orderly system. And so that's where the word originally referenced was this military order of Rome and Greece. But now... It's referring to the whole constitutional order of Rome. Those people who could receive the free bread of Rome were a part of that world of Rome, that orderly system of Rome, the Pax Romana. And that system, people had joined that system because they wanted the benefits through lust. They joined that system. Now, do you know anybody doing something like that today? Well, I'll let you think about that for a little bit here. (laughs) And we'll talk about that when we come back. Because this is where conservatives fall short of being true, righteous in their approach to the kingdom of God. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, I was asking, when he talks about having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
Now think about that. If the world is the constitutional order or system of government of Rome, and he's talking about Christians who are partakers of a divine nature having already escaped the corruption that is in the constitutional order or system of government of Rome through lust, what's he talking about? So what was going on in Rome? So you need a little bit of history. All these little millennials out there marching, they don't understand history. They don't understand uh, that by giving more and more power to a small group of men, you corrupt them with that power. And that's what they want to do. They're, but they're all socialists. All these kids in the school are socialists because public school is a socialist program. If you are sending your kids to public school, do not be surprised that they come out of that public school being socialists and progressives. That's what they teach there. But besides that being what they teach there, that program is a socialist program. You are taught them that it is okay to force your neighbor through taxation to provide you with a education for your children. Until the turn of the last century, most children in America were not educated in public education. And most public education for the first several decades of the last century was highly financed by private contributions. But gradually, steadily, over the decades, more and more is provided through taxation, through those forced offerings, through the Corbin of the Pharisees, through the sacrifice that is compelled by statutes and doctrines and teachings of the Pharisees. Because their ordinances, they talk about their ordinances. Because they made it a rule. Once you signed up, you had to pay in. You didn't have a choice. They actually had people who would arrest you if you didn't pay in your fair share. That, of course, was making the Word of God to none effect because it was not based on faith, hope, and charity. It was not based on free will offerings, all of which were pre- preached by Moses and the prophets and John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The modern Christian does not take care of the welfare of the widows and orphans and needy of his society through faith, hope, and charity. They take care of their needs through men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. The church used to do it through charity. No longer does it through charity. Oh, they have a little charity, a little token charity. They send it off to an African mission or a South American mission somewhere. But they don't... T- 90% of the needs within their community uh, at church is taking care, in most churches, in the vast number of churches, is taken care of by men who exercise authority and force the offerings of the people. So what is the consequence of that lust, desire for benefits of the world rather than the benefits of Christ that are provided through righteousness and charity and love for one another? What happens to a people that does this? Polybius tells us, that it turns them into perfect savages ready for the first tyrant that comes along. And you saw the marches of the people begging for a tyrant to rule over them, to protect them, to provide for them. And they don't see 
that this is this uh, identity politics and this uh, progressive approach to things has killed millions and millions of people in the last century. They don't understand that. They don't. They weren't taught that. They're they're blind to that. Okay, we got it. They're blind. What are you blind to? What are you not seeing? Are you seeing this? This this virtue by faith? See, he goes on in the next verse. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. This is what the church and the community is supposed to be doing for every need and aspect of our life and godliness. Pertain unto life and godliness. All things that pertain to life, that would be your welfare, your bread, your education, your health care, everything Christians took care of. They provided for one another through charity. You don't do that anymore. And so you know what happens? The reverse of what Peter just described. From charity, not so kind. (laughs) Not so charitable. Uh, From kindness, not so godly. Not so much brotherly love. You know, from patience to intemperance. To impatience. To intolerance. I mean, what do you look at when you see these millennials marching? Totally intolerant. Shout you down. Shut you up. Why? They are going the other way. They are going to the lust of the world. And you sent them there. You, you lost your children on the book Covenants of the Gods. We, I wrote that book years ago. And I put on the front cover the Pied Piper. That Pied Piper comes and does a service for the community and then wants to get paid, but the community doesn't want to pay him. They don't want to pay the price of looking to the Pied Piper. And so what happens? They they, they lose their children. Those marches there. See, when I see those marches, thousands and thousands of kids marching out there, I see the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And all the children following them. And they're going to be swallowed up. And gone. And you're not doing anything about it. That's why Jesus told you to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Commanded that the ministers of Jesus Christ require that the people sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Jesus commanded us to require you to do that. Before you get loaves and fishes... Well, there'll come a time where, you know, I just saw uh, a movie. I can't remember the name of the guy, uh, but it, it's the guy who saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children during the beginning of World War II, getting Jewish children out of Germany to uh, Switzerland, to England, all over. And uh, he uh, he just did this because it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And uh, and never told hardly anybody about it. His wife didn't even know about it. 
And so they ended up looking for these kids who are all grown up. And they, he lived to be a hundred years old. Uh, they put him in an audience and they start talking about what he had done. And he realizes they're talking about him. He was said, they brought me here under false pretenses. But he's completely surrounded by the the children that he saved, which are all older people now, grown up, you know, and grandparents of their own. And now he has they t- has thousands of people that consider him their their papa because through charity he saved them, saved their lives. And in, in the course of the movie, they talk about the parents who had to put their children on a train with a tag around their necks and not see them again. And the parents, in most cases, or at least many of the cases, never saw their children again. And the children don't even know what happened to their parents. They died during the war by the thousands. And um, all the relatives died. And they had new families. But they survived. And now they have thousands and thousands of children to their 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 progeny have have gone on because their parents were willing to let go of them that kind of scenario is going to take place again things will get so bad that parents have to let go of their children in hopes that they survive and uh it will be quite a challenge that's a that's a special kind of event there was a movie about you know supposedly the earth all falling apart and and uh, everybody's getting on these big ships uh, the ones who are surviving are getting on the big ships and there there's a gangster kind of guy in there who's totally selfish all the time clever rich wealthy but at the very last he throws his son up on the ship and dies himself he gives up his life for his child that's a scenario that is written into history over and over again and uh, where your child survives, but you do not. And that's going to be the choice of a lot of people because they're not making the right choices now. Through the lust of the world and their own vanity, they have created a system where they're losing their children. And they have to turn around and go the opposite way. They have to be willing to give up their life, to lay down their life, to save their children and their neighbor's children. That's what they have to do to redeem their very souls. And so people are going to be faced with that choice again in in the days to come. So I'm just giving you a heads up that you may be those people. We have people who who cannot even humbly serve their children now. They're, they're still willful with their children and they wonder why their children are so willful with them. Because there's, you know, and the religious doctrines are one of the key elements of this delusion. The, the, these religious doctrines, and we talk about it here later, is the, are fables that they've invented and missed the whole nature of the gospel of the kingdom. But they have these fables in their mind about Christ and about, oh, if you just believe in Jesus, you're automatically saved. So by your thought, you save yourself. But that's not what Peter's saying. He's using words like diligent. Jesus used words like strive. And the way is narrow. It's not broad. You can't just believe in Jesus and then go do anything you want. That's the broad way. The straight way is very narrow. 
It has to be a way of unselfishness, of kindness, of brotherly love, of charity, of not coveting your neighbor's goods. Through the agency of men you elect to exercise authority over your neighbor. That is, that is absolutely the reverse of the kingdom. And there will be no entrance for you into the kingdom. You will be shut out if you continue in that path. You need to repent. Now you know what you need to repent of. Repenting is thinking a different way. So I'm talking about that other way. It goes on in uh, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if these things don't abound, then you will be barren and unfruitful. If these things abound, you will not be barren and unfruitful. So, okay, there's the parameters. So, are you living by faith, hope, and charity? People say, do no harm. This is a common thing, you see. You know, that, that's the, the, the major rule. Do no har- rule. Do no harm. Not enough. You have to do good. You have to seek righteousness. You have to lay down your life for others. It's not enough to do no harm. You must do good. Now, you can't do enough good that God will owe you salvation. That's absolutely true. You cannot earn your salvation where God owes you. But if you don't strive, if you aren't diligent in the ways of Christ, there shall be no salvation for you. The door shall be shut to you. And you can weep and cry and pound on the door all you want. You will not be let in. No different now than it was in the days of the ark or the uh, virgins, uh, the foolish virgins. Uh, Christ repeats this story over and over again. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. If you don't do these things, you shall fall. That's the counter. Of that, If you do these things, so he's talking about doing, not thinking, but doing. And he goes on in verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. If you're not doing these things, don't expect an entrance. Don't expect coming into that kingdom. You have no inheritance in that kingdom if you're not doing the will of the Father. Peter, Paul, James, all, John, all of them warn you. If you're not keeping the commandments, that's evidence that you are not saved. That's evidence that your idea that you have saved yourself by what you think is false, and you may actually be a worker of iniquity. And Jesus will actually say to you, get ye from me, I know you not. Because you're not laying down your life for your fellow man. You're not coming together to serve one another. You're coming together to get a good feeling in church. And to believe the fable that you can save yourself by a thought. In your head. And you cling to that thought. 
And you go into bondage, and your children go into bondage, and they become cursed with death. You are so far from the gospel of the kingdom, you don't even know it. See, now, how many conservatives, Christian conservatives, can receive this gospel of repentance, thinking a different way? We used to do it. Years and years ago, we used to take care of one another. People weren't all starving in the streets. How did that work? Verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Your modern ministers are negligent in putting you in remembrance of these things. They're not even telling you these things. They're telling you that, oh, you're a Christian. You've been baptized with water and now you have been changed. And here's a little wafer and you're saved. No. No, you're not saved. If you're not doing these things <laughs> that Christ talked about and what the early church was doing, if you're doing the things that the Pharisees were doing through their Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect, you're not saved. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you want, you want benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you're willing to have elect men who exercise authority to get them, you're not a Christian. You're not following Christ. You're not doing what he said. And you have no inheritance in the kingdom. And I'm trying to put you in remembrance of these things. But some of you can't remember them because you've never been taught them. So anyway, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So I'm trying to, we used to do this in America. That's what made America great. Churches don't do this anymore. They think it's the government's job. Is it any wonder that the these kids think that the government should have all the guns and the people should not have any guns. They think their parents are stupid because they've, they've got common core and their parents can't figure it out. And we have, we have people who grew up in China who are now congressmen in, uh, in Colorado. And they, when they saw common core, they said, we had this in school. It is designed so that the children, when they go home, they cannot ask their parents how to do these things because their parents did not learn this way. So they can only go to school and that makes their parents look stupid. And that's the message the school is sending. Your parents don't understand. I've actually known teachers to forbid the parents to teach their kids at home. And, you know, I mean, you go through long lists. I mean, they don't want your kids to learn cursive writing. Very important part of their mental development. Did you know that when they give tests to different races in different parts of the world, uh, IQ tests, that some races score real low and other races score real high. And so they their conclusion is that there is a race difference in IQ. Well, Actually, I don't really think that that's necessarily so. There may be some difference that you find because some intelligence is inherited. But I think it's cultural. 
the the ones who score usually the highest is the Asians. But what what's with the Asians? They have a different kind of language. They look at language differently. The construction of their language and how they learn it and how they use it, I think, might lend to a higher IQ. It's cultural. It's the things you do that make the difference. And that's what Peter's talking about up here when he's talking about, you know, the, the brethren, give diligence and make your calling and election sure. And he's talking about, you know, going from godliness to brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness to charity. There's a progression that takes place in you that you don't even know is happening. When you walk in the way, that's what Christianity was called. It was called the way. All Everybody who got the baptism at Pentecost could no longer get the benefits of the Pharisees. They had to quickly devise a system, and they could do this because they had already sat down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. They devised a system to rightly divide the bread from house to house. So even when there were famines, they were able to get through and do well and survive and thrive. And because they were an international network, when there was famines in other areas, we see them immediately, right out of the box, sending aid all over the place. They weren't sending up to Rome and saying, Rome, we need more free bread here in Assyria or in Jerusalem. They were providing for one another. This was a job that Christ gave. Feed my sheep. By feeding one another through physical uh, needs, we feed our souls with a spiritual bread. The Eucharist of Christ. The thanksgiving. Eucharist means thanksgiving of Christ. Putting a wafer on your tongue, that is not the Eucharist of Christ. That is not thanksgiving. Your religious services that make you feel so good, that's not services. That's a disservice. Because it makes you feel saved when you are not. It makes you feel righteous when you are not. And what was righteous is simple. But you can't see it until you start walking that way. The prodigal son on his way home, he did not see his father's house at first. He had to walk some ways before his father's house came into view. And so you have to turn around, at least sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Stop making excuses. Oh, they don't have my perfect religious doctrine. Do they have the doctrine of love and caring for one another? Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth In the dark place. We're in a pretty dark place today. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. All you guys who are dividing one another because of your private interpretation, your personal doctrines, And not coming together in the simplicity of love and charity. You're you're going against what Peter is telling you. You're using your private interpretation to divide the people. It's simple. Come together and start caring for one another. Start laying down your life for 
one another and for the stranger in your midst. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's what you need. We'll start chapter 2 next. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going through Second Peter here, and we just went through the first chapter. And if if you go to Preparing You, we have this laid out with live links uh, under, you know, just look up the Bible and look for Second Peter. And uh, there's a lot of live links to other articles we have that explain this. You know, what is the world? What world is he talking about? What is this entrance to the kingdom? There's a live link. Social virtues, which are virtues. Virtues are not... If you look up the uh, Greek word for virtue, uh, which in this case I think is arite, which means a virtuous course of thought, feeling, and action. It's not just uh, a nice kind of guy. It's actually uh, thought, feeling, and action. And it comes from a word that actually means uh uh, RN, which is often translated to male or man or man-child, etc. It has to do with inheriting certain characteristics. And, and that's these characteristics is what allowed societies to survive. And if we become, you know, dead to un- this understanding, blind to this understanding, and Peter talks about this blindness that can come, then... We can't even see the kingdom. We can't even see what's coming. We can't see how this kingdom of God that Christ preached, that John the Baptist preached, that we're supposed to be seeking, operates. We just don't see it. And the reason why is because there's a lot of people coming along with these fables and these false uh, damnable heresies and uh, false prophecies. And, uh, you know, a false prophet isn't just somebody who talks about the future. It's it's somebody who is telling you stuff that just simply ain't so. And most of the way they are successful in telling you things that ain't so is they leave out the things that are so, that are required. And Peter goes into great detail. When we see these, you know, chapters, uh, divide, divisions here, this is all the second epistle. These are not separate, you know, uh, we put in the chapters. We even put in the verses. And we, you know, our translators determine what these different words are supposed to be. And we're going to take a look at some of that here in um, chapter 2. Uh, how they suddenly, they translate one word the same way over and over again. And then all of a sudden in Peter, they translate it a different way. With a different meaning. And everybody misses it. And they don't see it. And the even when you explain it to them and show them, they don't want to see it because it contradicts the fables that they believe in, that they have accepted as true, that just ain't so. It isn't what the early church was all about. And we have article after article after article showing you what, why were they persecuting the early Christians? You know, people say, well, we're supposed to obey the government 
until it asks us to do something that is contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Well, coveting the neighbor's goods is contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's contrary to the teachings of Moses. It's a contrary to the teachings of John the Baptist. It's contrary to the teachings of Peter and Paul and John. They all say that we're not supposed to be coveting our neighbor's goods. Yet your entire political systems all around the whole world is based on the fact that you want benefits at your neighbor's expense. An idea that was coming in around 200 B.C. really got going with Augustus Caesar. And Polybius said that it was going to destroy the nation. It was going to degenerate the people in Rome into perfect savages. And that's what you're seeing is people who don't want you to talk, don't want you to say this and that. Uh, they perverted the natural use of uh, uh, of nature. And uh, they think they are God's gift and entitled to force you to do whatever they want. And they are setting you and your all the nations of the world up to a great holocaust. And, you know, you should be able to see these things far off. But you can't. Because you aren't walking the walk. You aren't going the way that Christ said to go. The way of truth. And we see Peter talking about this right away in what they call chapter 2 of this epistle. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers amongst you. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That's already a done deal. You've already done that. You know, I mean, like, just take a look at the word destruction. That's uh, apalia is, is the word that we see there in the Greek. Perdition is the way it's normally translated. Destruction, about five times it appears that. Waste, twice. Damnable, once. And it means destroy, utter destruction, uh, perishing, ruin, destruction, etc. And it talks about perishing, ruin, destruction of money. <laughs> uh, destruction which consists of eternal misery in hell. That's the, the religious interpretation of it. But, you know, it's actually a derivative of uh, another word that means to perish or destroy or lose or lose. And what we see happening is people are losing their natural rights. Uh, there was just uh, a guy running for Congress in, uh, in uh, Texas who wants to repeal the Second Amendment and make owning guns a privilege. Like, you can just, if you repeal the Second Amendment, your natural rights go away. You no longer have a right to defend yourself. Well, actually, you know, if you read our uh, articles uh, that actually have been used in training of police officers, <laughs> it, it, other, does a Christian have a right to self-defense? Is The reality is you're already losing your right to self-defense because you've neglected your responsibilities to love one another. That's how you lose your right to self-defense. Somebody else is responsible for taking care of you, providing welfare for you, providing health care for you, providing for your parents, providing for your children, and you think you still have rights? 
you've waived your rights when you waived your responsibilities. Somebody was saying that the forefathers didn't talk enough about responsibilities. They only talked about rights. Well, the reality is rights are responsibilities. They are co-relatives. They are the two sides of the same coin. You cannot, you want your rights back, you have to take your responsibilities back. And that's what Christ was doing. That's what Moses was doing, telling the people, you have to start taking care of one another. And the best way to do that is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start walking the walk. And one thing leads to another. And it will open your eyes. So anyway, when they talk about false prophets in this first verse, they they have a word there too, which is actually composed of several different words. But one who's acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, but utterly false. And, and so he's saying that this is Christ, but he's not really telling you who the real Christ is. And that this is what they go on to tell you, that there will be many who claim to be of Christ and they are not. They are actually workers of iniquity. So in verse 2 we see, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Didn't say a few. Many. So are you one of those that are following the pernicious ways? By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, put these ideas together. This is one message. We got different verses here. So we don't want to take them out of context. We want to keep them in context. He goes on in verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Make you human resources. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. And their damnation slumbereth not. That, you know, this, here you got this other word, damnation. And that's that's that same word we see as perdition. And uh, but in this case, they they put the word damnation there instead of destruction. It's the same word in both places. But it's through covetousness. It's desiring those benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And what we talked about in the first part of the show is that is it okay to desire benefits from your neighbor that you force your neighbor to provide for you or you know, future generations to provide for you. When you borrow the money against the future, you're actually forcing your children and grandchildren to provide you life, liberty, and the pursuit of your personal comfort and happiness now. And they're going to have to pick up the tab later. I got guys thinking that, oh, we're keeping the Sabbath because we meet on Saturday. But they're in debt up to their ears. Uh, Nationally speaking, as some of them are actually in debt, individually speaking. That's completely contrary to the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is all about. You're, you're, if you don't have enough money to pay for what you need, you should be able to go to church and say, I don't have enough money to pay for what I need. And the church should be willing to help you out as long as you come with your hat in your hand and realize with humility The reason I don't have enough money to do what I need is because I haven't been attending to business. (laughs) I've wasted, I've neglected, I've whatever. And if you come with that humble heart, willing to serve and be diligent, not slothful, not work four four hours a day, but work 
8, 10, 12 hours a day to the fullness of your capacity. People will want to help you out. If we get time, maybe I'll save it for the afternoon show. I'll tell you a little story about people who who never wanted to work a 40-hour week. They always wanted to, to, to go home quick and early. And now, because a different spirit has entered into the place where they work, they not only work 40 hours a week, they come in early and end up working 50, 60 hours a week. And they want to, not because of the money, not because of the company, because the spirit of one individual who came into that work environment. And now everybody wants to come to work. And they're showing up early. And they're working longer hours. And they're producing more. And they're getting along. And they have smiles on their face most of the day. (laughs) Some of them have been pretty grumpy for a long time. Because a new spirit has been brought in to their midst. You go to the same thing like when you send your kids to public school. What spirit is coming in there besides the teacher from all the kids? What's happening? Now, these are things to consider, but you won't even see what's happening if you're not walking the way. You won't know what's happening. You won't be able to see it. You'll be blind to it. Verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah and eight persons, a preacher of righteousness, because he wasn't righteous, but he did preach righteousness, you know, but he was, and he was righteous in his generations. But he didn't have everything down. But at least he had some of the basics down. Bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The world of the ungodly. The world of the ungodly. That, that word there is not, that is that constitutional order and system of government. And we see that Cain created a city-state. You know, Abel didn't create a city-state. Seth didn't create a city-state. Cain created a city-state. Nimrod created a city-state. Pharaoh, Caesar, they created city-states and made men subject in them. These are the worlds of Nimrod, the world of Cain, the world of Pharaoh, the world of Caesar, and the world of Rome. These are the systems that operate by force, not by love. And they change the nature of the people that look to them with lust in their hearts. Through covetous practices, the people are changed. Now, if you want to change back, if you want to start to see things, you have to start to become generous in a way that strengthens the poor. You don't, you can't just give away your money to somebody way off that you don't even know. You have to start working within a congregation of people who will not be perfect. But otherwise, you cannot learn that brotherly kindness. You can't go those steps that we saw there in the first chapter. You won't get up to that virtue and charity that is of Christ. Because giving away stuff is not charity in itself. It has to be done righteously. And he goes on to say in verse 6, And turning 
the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And so, where's Sodom and Gomorrah today? You know, he's talking about cities. Abraham was not in a city. He had a system of altars of clay and stone. And that system of altars brought people together so that they actually cared about one another and came to the defense of one another. They, they, their armed men came to the defense of one another when there was a clear threat to the liberty and freedom of others, especially the loved ones of Abraham. They dropped what they were doing and they were the Minutemen for Abraham. Because they were bound together by actual altars of stone and clay. The clay is Adama. The altars of stone are friends of men. They were, it was a system of social welfare that operated by free will offerings, which we call charity. And this bound the people together. This is what bound the Christians together so that they were able to survive and thrive during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. You don't have that. That's going to take some learning skills on your part. There's a learning curve in that. So anyway, this uh, goes on in verse 7. And delivered just Lot, vexed, with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So what's he talking about? The, these, uh, he, he saw that, now, uh, there's many conservatives, maybe even some progressives out there who are still socialists. They're socialists because deep down they have some compassion in their hearts. But they're beginning to realize that just giving charity weakens and, and, uh, and makes people more addicted to that uh, benefit given by society. It enables them to become weak instead of strong. It perverts them. It converts them to something that is not good for them or for their children. It's just astounding that people are this way now that you see. I mean, the stories are rampant everywhere and it's growing. But at the same time, now there can be another separating of the goats and the sheep. There can be another group of people that is growing that is actually caring about one another and taking care of one another. Not steeped in the fables and religious uh, wardrobe of unrighteousness, but actually taking care of one another, being there for one another. This is what the early church was doing. And and this is what, if you're one of those people that look out there and say, and I've heard it coming out of people's mouth. They they see the rising debt in, in governments all over the world. And they say, aren't we passing this debt onto our children? We shouldn't be doing that. We need to do something. Well, the fact is the tide is going out. You cannot stop the tide, but you can get to higher ground and that higher ground is Christ. And that's where you need to go. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. You're not going to do it. You're not going to elect somebody that does it. 
You have to simply, and this is the beautiful thing, is all you have to do is turn around and start going the other way. God will work out the details. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be provided unto you. But you have to actually turn around your thinking and realize we should be doing this. We should be responsible for one another. We should be caring about one another. In verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed they are, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Those are the people who despise government, right? Well, here's one of those words I was talking about. The word there that you see as government, it's not translated government anywhere else in the Bible. That's right. It's not translated government. So what is it normally translated? It's translated dominion. And if you've gone to our Preparing You page and Second uh, Peter, Second uh, Chapter, we we start talking about some of these words and we have live links there. Damnable heresy that we see there. There's a whole article on damnable heresies. What is a damnable heresy? The fact is most Christian ministers today preach a damnable heresy and they don't even know it. And it will take humility for them to repent of that and turn around. We have live links to articles on covetousness. What is covetousness looks like? Uh, veined words. Why, why the merchandise? Why, how are they making you merchandise through covetousness? How are they making you human resources through covetousness? Well, we have articles that show you that. In the comments section over on the side, uh, in verse 10, we see this warning about despising government. The Greek word there is kyriotes. Does not actually mean government, but dominion. And normally it is translated dominion. It's not talking about a government like the world that exercises authority one over the other. They're talking about dominion. Dominion is your God-given rights. You know, which if you go back to Genesis one twenty-six, God granted you your rights. This is the whole basis of early American thought is that you are endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. And they created a constitution now we have a old book on Constitution that's free online that shows you that uh, it is not the Constitution is not a biblical document. I need to probably say that to people now. People will say, "Wait a minute! No, no, it is. It's the greatest. You know, no, it's not a biblical document. It's easy to prove. You just have to read the articles. I don't have the links in here right now, but maybe I'll put them in uh, where you can go read that the Bible gives you parameters to put in a constitution if you decide to create a government that can exercise authority and that you have to put limitations on that government. That's what your constitution is for, is to put limitations on government. Of the four or five different items that you are to put in the constitution, only one of the biblical items that are required by God to put in that constitution and be read to your leaders every day, only one of them is in the Constitution of the United States. As a matter of fact, the Constitution of the United States makes provision for you to violate the Ten Commandments. And it's called the Contract Clause. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not going to go through all that now or we won't get through this chapter 2. But if you don't believe what I'm saying, have the courage to look it up. 
and do some research on your own. We're we're providing all this for free. You you don't have to buy the book. It's free online. You don't have to buy the articles. You don't have to even become a member. Now, if you want to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, you need to join the network, and the links are there on the page to join that network. Somebody once said, there's nowhere in the Bible where they talk about a network. Yet, Jesus commanded that the ministers require that the people sit down in the tens in companies, which is usually that, that word symposia means tens, approximately ten, in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. Folks, that's a network. Now, what binds that network is the Holy Spirit working through you, going through those processes that Peter talks about in the beginning of this chapter, or in the first chapter of the second epistle, and it takes you to charity and the Eucharist of Christ. But anyway, that dominion granted to you back with Genesis 1.26, it's the same dominion that we see mentioned also in Genesis 25.34, that Esau sells his birthright, supposedly for a pottage of lentils, which is bread and a pottage of lentils. Free bread! And the pottage of lentils is actually red pottage. and We can go into a whole study on that, but I don't have the time here. But you're giving up your dominion, your right, your God-given rights for benefits. That's, that is the ones who despise dominion. Those kids marching, they despise dominion. They don't want the responsibility of having to protect their neighbor and one another and their fellow classmates. They don't want that right. They want somebody else to have that right because they despise that right. You hear it in their voices. They despise the responsibility of taking care of one another. They they profess that they love one another, but it's a lie. If they really loved one another, they would have they could have stopped these things from happening. Their parents could have stopped these things from happening. But they're slothful in the ways of Christ. They're slothful in the ways of God. They don't want the responsibility. They put somebody else in charge. And that's how you end up with holocausts. Where millions upon millions of people die. God hates this disregard for the rights and responsibilities he has bestowed upon man. He hates that. That's what the error of Balaam is. That's what the deeds of the Nicolaitan is. God hates that. And that's those people who despise dominion that God has given you. The responsibility that God has given you. You've granted it to other men. And say, educate my children. Take care of my parents. Take care of my kids. Take care of my health care. Do everything for me. That is against God. And that's what Peter's talking about here in this thing. We'll be back. So this uh, verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. 
in other words, this wantonness, this desire for benefits of uncleanness, are willing to sell their birthright, despise the dominion that God gave them, and speak evil of those who actually want to take back their responsibilities. The, the, speak evil of the dignities of the people that do want to honor one another. They're the, where they're made, or we're made out as the bad guys. We don't despise government. We love the dominion that God has given us, and we don't want to give it up for benefits. We don't want to sell it for a pot of porridge. We do not want to make the error of Balaam. We do not want to go the way of the Nicolaitan. We do not want to do that. And we're the bad guys. We want to be there to protect you and to help you and to take care of the needy of society. But we're told to shut the door. To those who will not sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Those who are foolish virgins who squander their day-to-day life in sloth and idleness. We're supposed to shut the door to them. And not let them in. We're commanded to do that. So, are you striving? Are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are you thinking this other way of individual responsibility to not only not harm your neighbor, but actually take care of your neighbor and the needy of your society? We will not be able to take in all the parents, but we will take in as many children as we can. But that's because you haven't been, you've been slothful in the ways of Christ. You're under tribute. You belong to another. You're not like Peter, who belongs to Christ. You're merchandise. You've been sold into bondage to others. You serve the unrighteous mammon. Now, if you want repentance, you have to turn around and start going the other way. Start caring about this other way that Christ told us to go. And start loving the dominion and the responsibilities that God has given you. And people always use that quote, despise government. But that's not what the word means there. Well, in a way, it could mean that because when you're in exercise of your responsibilities and therefore your rights, when you're doing the dressing and keeping that God told us to do, not only of the land and the trees and the woods, and but of our neighbor, then you are the government. Of the people, for the people, and by the people. But if you elect other men to be the government, they will become your lawmakers. They will decide what is good and evil. And you will go to jail because you don't use the right pronoun. Just saw somebody in South Africa got three, a woman who was all distraught. She had been attacked and robbed and, and she didn't like the police officer that came and she used a racial epithet, you know, cursing the guy, and decided if she can't get good help, she's just going to leave, and she left. They put her in jail for three years for using bad language when she was already emotionally upset. She didn't attack him. She didn't hit him. She didn't She didn't threaten him. She just said, I, I, I feel like I'm not getting served, and she called him a name. And she's going to jail for three years. People in, in England are being put into jail because they don't like the fact that thousands and thousands of children have been raped and even abducted on their streets and people are abusing them in in their own land and they mention that these people are Muslims, radical Muslims, and that's supposedly hate speech. Well, the truth is that children are being raped 
And they are being raped by Muslims. It doesn't mean all Muslims are doing this, but those that are, and like the the one Muslim that he says, the the silent majority uh, don't make any difference because they just let this go on. And they don't do anything about it. Well, that's a crime to point out that people are doing this. Now, now you could, you know, they're, they're murdering and killing Christians all over the world. There are people who are at least have some of the semblance, you know, like I'm, I'm giving Christian, modern Christians a hard time because they're not really doing what Christ said. But amongst many of those Christians, there's some really decent, not far from the kingdom people, but their preachers are not preaching the wholeness of the kingdom. And they're, they're becoming merchandise because they're not teaching the wholeness of the kingdom. They're becoming, they can be thrown into jail for saying something that's true. Or, you know, losing their temper. Thrown into jail for three years for getting upset after she was just attacked and robbed. And she was all emotional. And she's going to jail for three. Does the punishment fit the crime? She's not calling for the, people to be murdered or killed or anything like that. She just didn't want to deal with that guy. And she used bad language. You don't put somebody... Sticks and stones will break your bones, but now words will get you arrested. It's it's crazy. It's insane. But people don't see it. They think, oh yeah, it should be that way. Because they can't see things far off. And that's, of course, what uh, Peter ends up talking about. He says, whereas the angels which are greater in power and might bring not uh, railing accusations against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That's what we're seeing happen. And the fake Christian, the not, the Christian who is not striving diligently to take care of all the things in, in body and soul of one another, they are leading you through these damnable heresies into a place where you will not only lose your life, but your children will lose their life. You're cursing your children with a way of thinking and a way of being that is going to bring utter destruction. So anyway, verse 13, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the day. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceiving deceivings while they feast with you. What are they talking about? This spot. If you look at that word spot, we see that word in reference to pure religion. That you're supposed to be taking care of the needy of your society in pure religion. In other words, unspotted by the world. It's not unspotted by the planet. It's not unspotted by inhabited places. It's not unspotted by the age. It's unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of government. You know, we have a number of links there. You can go read what Polybius saw this coming long before John the Baptist. You can go read what John the Baptist was saying and what he said about the Pharisees. You can go read uh, Peter, Paul, James, and John, how they warn you over and over again to test your faith, to find out if it's real. 
You say you believe in Jesus, but you're not doing what Jesus said to do. You're not doing what the early church said to do. As a matter of fact, your caring for one another is very much spotted by the world. And you need to repent of that and turn around. Having eyes full of adultery. Look up our article on adultery. It's it's there. There's a live link. That cannot cease from sin. Adultery, most of the time adultery in the Bible is talking about national adultery. Where you don't go to sit and eat at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you go and sit at the table of kings. And even way back in Proverbs it says, put a knife to your throat if you sit and eat with rulers and be a man of appetite where you want all these benefits. You need to not do that. In order to not do that and be righteous, you have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another. And stop dividing one another because of your vanity or your religious uh, in private interpretation. Love is simple. Stop trying to put yourself up on a pedestal and be a minister of the people. And start being what Peter calls a bondservant of Christ who came to serve. Not to be looked up to. He wasn't going to be looked up to. He was going to be crucified. Are you ready for that? Because he tells us that's what they want to do with us. You know, these guys who speak evil of dignities, they don't like what I'm telling you. But Peter goes on and he says that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. And there's live links there to other articles. That's this desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor and borrowing against the future of your children has cursed them and brought them into bondage. Now, if you want to save them, you're going to have to start sacrificing in the ways that Christ said to sacrifice which is through faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty, which have forsaken the right way. That's what you've done. And gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Another live link there to Balaam, an article on Balaam and the Nicolaitan, and the wages of unrighteousness. Those benefits are unrighteous because they're based on forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with, uh, with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophets. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, desire for benefits, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And now the modern Christian lives in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome. Of the same he is brought into bondage. And that's where you're at today. You're back in a bondage worse than the bondage of Egypt. And uh, you go to the links. Go to our articles on that. We take you through it step by step. We show you the laws. We read the Social Security Act. We show you what that does. We show you how it works. 
But really what should attract you, or the only reason we give you all that information is so you can set down these delusions that you have actually repented and are seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness is really very simple. Of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, you had escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you don't have that knowledge because your ministers are not telling you what he was really doing, what Peter is really talking about. And you have again become entangled therein, overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment of not coveting your neighbor's goods, delivered unto them, not making contracts and covenants and constitutions with them to get benefits, but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to its vomit and again the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Again, more live links to more articles showing you this is a common theme of the Bible. Jesus condemned the Pharisees because they did not attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He rebuked the Pharisees for their Corbin. You go back to First Samuel 8. The voice of the people electing rulers who could exercise authority to make things right is a rejection of God. If you would sit down together in free assemblies according to the perfect law of liberty and actually start sacrificing for one another and stop looking for the emotional justification. But look for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not emotional justification or emotional feeling. The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. It is a still, small voice working in your heart that says, this is right and this is not right. And it is not right that you look for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Those are spots in your religion. The modern religious state, the modern religious community uh, are very much spotted. The The modern church their religion, the way in which they take care of the needy of society, the widows, the orphans, the needy of their society, is very much spotted by the world. So now that's the direction you want to go into. You want to start weaning yourself off that. Some of you could probably go cold turkey right now. Start gathering together. Start caring about one another. Stop looking for that feeling and justification from your false religions and your false ideology that usually need to be buttered both sides with music and a good band and a good sound system and a big screen TV and a big big church that you can be proud of. Peter doesn't talk about such a church. He talks about the tabernacle of his own body. The church is not a building. It's an institution of the Spirit. And his people bound together by that spirit, not by contracts. There, those people would not be going and praying to the fathers of the earth for their daily bread, for their welfare, for their social uh, security, for their uh, health care, for their free education. 
They would be gathering together. They would be homeschooling, home health, home industry. And they would be gathering not as with some kind of armband or, you know, an Amish hat or the right size suspenders or whatever. They would be simply gathering in that spirit to be of service one to another. That is the fellowship. I have live links there to uh, articles on appetite, on fellowship, on idolatry, on communion, on being unequally yoked with unbelievers. You are yoked. Because you have made covenants with them. You have applied for their benefits that you knew were only being provided by borrowing money. Social Security was bankrupt from the beginning. It's never been solvent. Because there is no division of funds and the reason it was instituted is that the United States was already bankrupt and they needed more collateral. And so your parents and your grandparents volunteered themselves and you as collateral. So you are the cursed children. Now you can go on in the same way or you can repent and stop cursing your children. But it may be that only your children will survive. But if you do not repent, then God have mercy on your soul. Because you need to be setting the table of the Lord. And in order to do that, if you go back to the, the commandments of Christ before the fishes and loaves in Mark, they, he commanded his apostles to get the people to sit down in a network of companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. And then he began to share. And they began to share. And there was enough. And there was plenty left over. God knows how to bring righteousness to your communion. You just have to give Christ a chance by turning around, repenting, and going this other way. And realize that the way you're going now with your Christian conservatism, going to elect a man who's going to make your nation great. Nonsense. He's not going to make your nation great. Not in any way, shape, or form. He can't do it. It's not what made us great. It's not the presidents or the Constitution. It was the fact that we had communion in our communities that where we took care of one another. And we had this commonality of caring for one another that brought us into favor with the ways of God. So anyway, that this can bring us to uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter. But I don't have any notes on that yet because I didn't get to that. <laughs> I've been busy. <laughs> but he starts off this second epistle. So this is all one epistle. They break up these chapters and people quote things like despise government and they say, oh, we're not supposed to despise government. You're not supposed to be covetous. That's foundational. I don't, I'm not saying don't pay tribute. Pay tribute. If you owe tribute, pay tribute. That's what Christ said. That was a trick question anyway. We have an article up on that, recordings up on that. When they talk about the tribute coin that came out of the mouth of the fish, that wasn't even going to Caesar. Well, at least not directly. Uh, that was a temple tax. That was temple tribute. You gotta remember, the temple of Israel was a government building. It's, it's where you went 
for your social welfare. Of course, she didn't. everybody didn't have to go to the big temple because there wasn't supposed to be a big stone central temple. It was a network from the beginning. The tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands was always a network from the beginning. Israel was organized in that way from the beginning, even before Jethro. Jethro was just simply saying through that same pattern that you should pick judges to help settle these disputes. And that really what it was, and you see it actually taking place with uh, Boaz and Ruth, they had an issue of law that had to be settled. They brought the elders together and they all listened to both sides and just settled the issue of law. They didn't come down with a judicial ruling, but they laid out what needed to be done and it was done. The people chose to do it. You know, people don't even, they don't even have an inkling of how the court systems of the kingdom of God works. It's not a top-down authority. It's a bottom-up because you're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Many of you have heard me mention this. That that phrase used by Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address was actually quoting the foreword to the Wycliffe Bible that said, this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And nowhere in that book does it tell you you must elect rulers to exercise authority over you. Nowhere does it say that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through governments that you elect. Nowhere does it say that it's okay that borrow against the future of your unborn children so that you can have benefits today. Nowhere does that excuse that. Yet your common Christian conservative says, oh, that's okay because we're doing it through government and we're not supposed to despise government. But by that very phrase... They do despise dominion because they give their right to choose for them that was granted to them by God to other men, which is what we did in the days of Cain, what we did in the days of Nimrod and his Babylon, what we did in the days of Pharaoh, and what we did in the days of Caesar. They say in Acts, there was another king, one Jesus. And they did contrary. They didn't disobey Caesar. They did contrary the decrees of Caesar because there was another king, one Jesus. You've gone so far away from that, you've got a lot of turning around to do, a lot of going back to the ways of early church and early Christianity. And you need to do that walking with others in righteousness. Not giving other ministers right to rule over you, but taking back those responsibilities of caring for one another and creating that network that Christ commanded us to create so that we may have the loaves and fishes of God when there is famine in the land. And that's where you need to go. And you need to turn around now, not put it off, Because when the door is shut, the door is shut. And the foolish virgins will be outside begging to come in. Christ had story after story warning about this. But people make excuses. Well, I can't be so because that's not what my pastor told me. I never heard this. This seems different than what I've ever heard. Is it not written? Was it not told to you from the beginning? Yes, it was. And now you need 
to have the humility to admit it and repent and seek that kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.